Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm joined once again by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hello, Grant. I am very well indeed. And yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. I know. It's uh, not Groundhog Day, is it? No, not at all. I think not I've said all. that about the last four podcasts, so, you know. <laughs> you may well have, and I, I think it's going to be interesting for people listening to this in a few years going, ah, we know when this was recorded. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. They'll, then they'll have bets as to which COVID lockdown it was actually recorded in. Oh, there's only a couple to go before Christmas, so they'll probably be right. Oh, wash your mouth out. <laughs> okay, let's. do you know what we're going to do today? What are we going to do? We're going to shake off all of those lockdown blues and we're going to look to the future. And it's not even the future. It's happening right now. Uh, Today, we're joined by Phil Mall. Phil is the director of Deep Tech Venture Capital Company, Main Sequence. So, Main Sequence was founded by the National Science Agency, CSIRO, in 2017, and it now manages close to $490 million Uh, including CSIRO's Innovation Fund. Uh, We spoke to Phil some time back uh, with V2 Foods and looking at the role of investment and venture capital in this space. And we really thought it was time to have him back because this industry moves more than the faster than the speed of light, I think, <laughs> or sound, whichever one's more so. You can tell I'm not the science brain that's going to be happening in this conversation. Anyway, so main sequence is looking at six global challenges and uh, that it's looking to solve from climate crisis to space, health, and our focus, which is on food production, and the question of just how are we going to feed 10 billion people by 2050? Phil, hello. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me. I find these conversations just enthralling and somewhat mind-boggling. And we, um, since we last spoke, V2 Foods has now raised $185 million um, since its launch that was less than three years ago. And it's now got a market value of more than $500 million. And while they're going gangbusters, coming up, nipping at the heels are companies like Nourish Ingredients and Clara Foods and the latest that we've um, just heard about, Eden Brew. So tell me particularly in relation to these companies, what, what's their um, unifying factor? Where are they coming from in this, in this food tech sort of space? Well, I think the unifying idea behind everything we're doing in the Feed 10 Billion People Challenge is the investment thesis that we know for sure that we have to make a lot more food. And let's just call it twice as much food over the next couple of decades. And we also know that we've probably run out of planet to actually make that food. So we can't stick with business as usual. We need to find other ways. And and science has actually been quietly doing that for decades anyway. I mean, actually, we shouldn't really be able to make as much food as we do. It's just because scientists are incredible and they've found new ways of getting, you know, new calories out of, you know, every drop of land that we have. Um, 
So within our Feed 10 Billion People thesis, we're, we're, part of that is looking for new kinds of food. What, what is a, a new way of making food that has a more uh, sustainable method at its core for making a lot more food but use less planet in doing so? So one of the ways we do that is we do it with companies like V2 Food, and that's where we, we take plants and instead of feeding them to animals and then growing the animals and then taking the animal and making meat out of it or eggs or dairy or anything like that. Um, we, we, we transform the plants directly into a meat like product that you can put in a recipe. Now, the other way of, of doing this and that there are, there are a number of different ways of making these foods, but this, the, the second way that we're very busy uh, is, is called synthetic biology so it's actually using biology itself to directly grow the food that is often grown inside an animal and so um it's a, it's a, it's an incredibly interesting new way to make things um and um and the, the easiest way to think about it is uh it's like it's like brewing beer so in the same way that we feed sugar, well, you just to got yeast. a large part of the population on board. <laughs> okay, so in the same way, go on. Same, Sorry, in the same in the same way that we 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 feed sugar to yeast and we grow alcohol. Okay, we we can we can we can use different kinds of yeast to grow casein proteins for dairy, uh, for example, or different lipids for for dairy or for. Uh, for meat um, and we do that by actually genetically modifying sometimes but not all the time the yeast and we use yeast as the machine if you like to grow um, new things which um, well or grow things that nature's already invented but just grow them in different ways grow them more directly and more sustainably than we've done that before now you might be thinking this sounds like crazy science fiction, but it, we've been doing it for decades. Many of many um, pharmaceutical products, for example, are grown in this way. So I have di I have diabetes, and uh, and I need to give myself insulin during the day. Insulin originally came from pigs. It came directly from a pig's pancreas. And you know, the numbers for that, it just sounds actually crazy when you think about it now. We needed eight tons of pig pancreas oh. to make oh. one liter of insulin. Okay, so Gosh. imagine like knowing how many people have diabetes and are on insulin today that, you know, we would have run out of planet, you know, a long time ago to actually deliver that. But that's where we're going with food. Now, now we make insulin routinely in stainless steel tanks like you make beer and it works really well it's nature identical to the stuff that bodies make um but it's just it's made directly in a tank and that's what we can do with a whole bunch of different kinds of food and you know we've been we've been very focused on that in main sequence and that's why we invested in in Clara Foods, who are making egg whites, but without needing chickens to lay eggs to get to get them. Um, Eden Brew, which is making uh, milk effectively, which can then ob obviously go on to make cheese and ice cream and custard and all those things. 
uh, but again, without without the animals and nourish who are making lipids or sort of animal fats. So think about, you know, the the fat that's on a pork belly or in the bacon or the wagyu um, in, in, in a wagyu or the beautiful creamy taste that you have in a in a fabulous butter or a or Italian ice cream or something like that. Um, so there's a, we're we're in a incredible wave of innovation around this technology now, um, and and it's very exciting for Australia. And and I, and this is why it's going faster than the speed of sound at the speed of light, um, because. Um, because it's an urgent problem to solve, and and the and the countries that nail it, that lean into it, and 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 build the production capacity for delivering on this promise will be, you know, will be major manufacturing centres of a new sustainable manufacturing planet. And um, and just to give you a, a sense of that, the um, the capacity for Australia to make milk, for example. How much milk do we make today for the global milk market? A tiny amount, a very, very small and insignificant amount. Um, if we commit to making, uh, to brewing dairy in addition to making it with cows, we probably have the feedstock in Australia to actually double the world's milk supply. So we we in this country can double the world's milk supply. And so uh, you know, and we've got a job to do. We've got <laughs> we've got stainless steel to build and we've got companies to build and but it's absolutely within the realm of possibility. Can you tell me like what does a production facility then look like if it's it really operating at scale? Like, is it, I mean, I can't even, I, I don't even know how you visualise that. Like, what does it look like? How big is, what sort of space does it need? And does it, you know, need to be near water? And does it need to be, could you put it in the middle of, I don't know, like a regional or a remote setting? And so there's, a, there's a few considerations. The, the, the biggest one is that it needs to be near the feedstock, um, depending on what that feedstock is, um, for many of these products, the feedstock is, well, always the feedstock is some kind of carbon source. Uh, and often what's used for that is sugarcane. Um, and so, you know, as you know, Australia has an enormous sugarcane harvest uh, every year, but sugar as a direct um sell into sugary drinks is 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 going um coming off the boil somewhat That's compared right. to they've where had it a was. couple of um i know <laughs> that yes they've had a couple of pretty rough years of late of yeah across That's the global right. so market this is, a, yeah. this is a whole new uh opportunity which is enormous inside and, and also an opportunity for the sugar industry to sort of decommoditize itself a little bit and become more value-add so many people think that these big production facilities will be co-located um, in Mackay and places like that near near the sugarcane, and that's that's there there are there is a very active national conversation about that. And then I suppose visualizing it, um, 
if you imagine a trip to the Hunter Valley or to the Adelaide wine region, you know, what do you see? You see, you see enormous stainless steel tanks in which the wine or the beer is, is fermented. And it will look very much like that, that it'll look exactly the same as that. And over time, it may become quite large in size. We might see sort of cities of stainless steel in regional centers. We, we, we heard about a, uh, a project in China a couple of weeks ago that is, is underway where um, this kind of facility is being built and it's 16 square kilometers in size. <laughs> so <laughs> it's big. But compare that to, you know, hundreds of millions of acres of, of pasture. Mm, yes <laughs> that cows which, go on, so it's not that big yeah yeah which is which is land that could be housing people in a safer environment or you know myriad other um opportunities i guess okay so that's that's looking at sort of the science of it in in terms of this synthetic biology and then looking at then how it's manufactured using those using yeast you need to explain it <laughs> A bit more for me. Can you explain? Let's take Eden Brew as an example. Um, and I, this is a, a project with Main Sequence and also with Norco, which is the country's largest milk co-op, uh, and also FMCG specialist Jim Fader, who I love sort of defined it as saying, you know, this is, it, it's got the same building blocks as cow's milk. It's just made in a different oven. <laughs> you know, I think that's a really nice sort of summation of it. Um Talk to me about what that does. Like, how does how have you made something that's going to taste and have the mouthfeel of milk, but has not actually come out of the cow? So, so we need to go back to the there's this essential building blocks of of milk essentially. So there's a there's a few things in there. There's 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 a few whey proteins. Uh, there are a few casein proteins, and these casein proteins come together into a biological structure that's called a casein micelle. And the the core of the science inside Eden Brew is the team's ability to, first of all, uh, create without the cow each of those proteins. So that's the sort of synthetic biology sci scientific capability in the group. And then the second thing is to create this micelle from the uh, from the casein proteins. The micelle is something that nature invented to um, to cause milk to clot in the stomach of mammals, and you know so that so that babies when they uh, when they drink the milk it stays in their stomach and nourishes them for you know a, a period of time, but it's also the the piece which makes milk that beautiful white color that that means the cappuccino and the latte kind of froths up fabulously it means that you know when you cook with it it doesn't just sort of disassemble into a into a big mess um, and so the, the the dairy engineering expertise if you like that's in the CSIRO team that's working on this is also a very important part of forming that micelle um, and creating those properties of milk. And then the third part is actually the, the fat. And that's where Nourish come in, so a separate company that we've made that will have a, a bunch of other uses as well. But that's what gives it that 
you know, it puts that sort of film on the roof of your mouth and gives it that beautiful creamy taste. So if you um, taste uh, some of the other brewed dairy products, for example, there's a product in the US which is fabulous called Perfect Day that makes it makes milk in a similar way. Um, it, it has a very clean taste. Uh, think of it like uh, a Mr. Whippy ice cream rather than okay. a gelato yeah. ice cream. Okay, so like a just yes. a very, very not complex, very sort of, just very not, yeah. yeah. That, that's right, um, and you don't get that beautiful spread over your mouth. It, it doesn't have the the fat in it. So getting the fat right is really important. Um, so effectively, what what Eden Brew does is it makes each of these. Uh, constituent proteins combines it with the lipids of, of of nourish, for example, and then it ships to a dairy processor like Norco, who is who are going to be the first you know global partner, but they're also of course a co-founder of the business to process that in the same way that they process cow's milk today. So the same. The same big container at Norco where they pour milk and then they start pasteurizing it is the same big container that is going to take uh, the uh, Eden Brew components. Think of it like think of it like the same way Coca Cola ships syrup all over the world in a highly condensed form, and then it gets recombined with water and other things and turned it and made all fizzy, and then you've got Coca Cola on tap. Uh, Eden Brew is doing the same thing. It's making a kind of dairy concentrate, if you like, that is then shipped, and then it, it it is just pasteurized and produced in exactly the same way. It can flow down the custard production line. It can flow down the cheddar cheese line, um, and everything everything just works as normal. And that's why the the Norco partnership is incredibly powerful for us because just like V two in its partnership with Hungry Jacks was able to ship at scale very, very quickly, we're going to be able to do the same thing with Eden Brew. But more importantly, we can create the playbook with Norco so that we can we can ship Eden Brew all over the world to all the equivalent Norcos uh, and grow yeah. that way. Oh, see. This was the part of the this was the part of the story that had my sort of you know me cocking my head to the side and squinting my eyes, going, I don't understand how this is a you know synthetic milk, but the milk co-ops involved, and mm. now I get it. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's been um, confounding in some ways. Okay, yes. to the to the <laughs> to the it country, <laughs> kind of looking at that, it's kind of in some ways the the dairy producers are supposed to be angry about this and fighting against it, but I think it's the most fabulous thing. This is a group of people who are the world's experts at making this fabulous food that we call milk or dairy, um, who honestly can struggle some years to actually make that milk at the right cost because of drought or bushfires or whatever, and just global competition saying, how can we make more of this stuff? You know, they're not going to make less cow milk. They're going to carry on making cow milk and they're going to make even more milk using Eden Brew's products. So they've got that. They're just looking at this as, as business people looking at how they can massively expand their business. 
Yeah, uh, because uh, I imagine the scaling of this is the, I mean, it's sort of like the um, the golden ticket, isn't it? It's like we can have all the science and we can perfect it, but then being able to do it on scale and and really on global scale is where suddenly we're just, it, it, you know, you're cooking with gas. Like it's just am- amazing what the potential then becomes. That's right. And the the secret for for this kind of business is scale. It's one of those businesses which works on an economic level when it's massive. And so, you know, I'm I have a, a project at the moment where um you know I'm trying to support a, a biobrewery to to be built in Australia that would be eleven would have capacity for eleven million liters of production. So it'd be very, very large. But it, that's how you that's how you get the cost. You know, if you're gonna make you can't make eggs that cost a hundred dollars a kilo, right? Because no. people won't <laughs> buy them. Uh, same with milk. And yes. so that's that's the shift that's happening with food. When we make insulin you can sell you can make less volume and it it's okay if it costs more per kilo because you know it's it's a drug and people need it and they'll pay a high amount for it milk that i'm going to buy at woolies or coles you know needs to be whatever milk costs and um and so we need the only way to do that is to do it at a massive scale mm. and so then when you look at um companies like Eden Brew and, and Nourish Ingredients, what sort of time frame then are you looking at in terms of those, those companies being at the scale where, that we're talking about? Well, both are already producing food. Um, so we're, um, we've gone very, very quickly with both of them. Um, next year with Eden Brew, for example, will be so, – so Nourish is already making um, – enough to start shipping at the end of this year to co-development partners who are sort of all of these businesses, well, especially companies like Nourish need to uh, spend a lot of time integrating with the products that they're, they're part of. And so that's, they're making enough of that um, from next year with Nourish. Eden Brew, uh, same sort of thing. We're going to be making enough to show people what the food's like. So I'll be able to come over to your place with a glass of milk and you'll be able to go, crikey, that's just like milk? the stuff cows milk, <laughs> uh, cows make. Uh, it'll probably probably be quite an expensive uh, uh, bottle of milk. Um, and then, um, and then well, as we get to the scale, it's, that's a journey that we're going to go on over the next few years. Um, to actually make one of these plants, it takes about three years. Um, so that's probably the soonest time in Australia will have that kind of scale. So initially, companies uh, like Eden Brew will be probably using offshore co-manufacturers to do this work. Um, and it still won't be at the price that we want. But after about three or four years, then we'll really be getting into our stride. It's just so amazing. And do you know, the thing that I always think about when we I'm writing about these sort of stories and talking to people like yourself is that when we take a couple of steps back, there's a group of Australians who are so smart, who are in the lab and just creating this stuff, like working it out. And it's just, that to me is just tremendous, you know. 
but, um, they're, they're like uh, alchem- modern day alchemists, aren't they? Yes. Like in the same yeah. way, medieval people used to say, "Crikey, you know, yeah, how do they? Yeah, they, can can this person spin this ingredient into gold? You know, that that it's it's kind of the same thing, and um, and and we're very fortunate in that sense. In Australia, uh, we have a an incredibly talented scientific community that is you know radically just taking itself to the world at the moment it's very exciting to see and especially in areas like synthetic biology that we're talking about here today we're just we're we're fortunate because now i I said to people that we've we've got the two hard bits for this industry we've got the feedstock that I spoke about earlier in the sugarcane and things like that. You can't instantly make lots of sugarcane. Um, but we also have the talent that has been uh, that has been becoming expert in synthetic biology over the last couple of decades. And they're here in Australia today, and they can really build enormous industries of the future. So um, that's a very big mission for me at the moment to really bring that to life. Yes, yeah. I think um, because I think everyone can get caught up so much in just the trying to even comprehend what these sorts of concepts are. But the fact is that, yeah, there's there's people who walk amongst us who have the ability to, <laughs> to think to think like this and to really look at a problem and find really fascinating workable solutions from you know, from a scientific base, it's just, um, I, don't, I find it really inspiring, actually. It's its amazing. And, and you know, it comes with just such a dedication for understanding something very specific. So, for example, the, the lead scientist in Edinburgh, uh, Roderick, is just a incredibly gifted scientist who just knows everything about milk proteins and the whole synthetic biology process for making them. And I bet when he started this work, he couldn't begin to imagine how important it is at this moment in history that someone like him has the skill that he has. Um, And now he's playing this incredibly important role. So let's finish off looking at this notion then of innovation and investment and why they do need to go hand in hand, particularly when we're faced with things like, you know, a population that that is, I mean, even they're not getting, they're not getting fed now, you know. So talk to me about that because it seems um, there are some big numbers flying around, but it also seems really exciting as, at the same time and that it's, you, you kind of can't have one without the other. Well, I guess the the virtuous circle that we're trying to create is a sort of value creation machine, and this is why you need all these things kind of feeding off each other. You know, we we in the venture world really need that talent that we were just talking about and that scientific capability to begin turning the wheel. Then we need to be able to fuel that with capital and access to customer, access to market that industry has to sort of quickly prove that there's a job to be done here. And then as it grows, we need to be able to bring in global capital to do that at scale. So to give you an example, um, 
factories like the ones that we're talking about that will make this that will use precision fermentation to make products like Edenbrew's dairy um, that that three or four hundred million dollars to build that they're, they're expensive um, once you once you build them you know they're they're billion dollar plus revenue per year entities right so it's it's it needs capital you can't do it with without much capital so it's you know how do we how do we tell that story how do we build that community how do we remove all the barriers from people working together so that it happens it happens successfully you know then the you know the really important thing is people look at that and go it was successful we should do more (laughs) not (laughs) yes That 300 million factory was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? You know, that's we do not want people to think that. And so I think we've got a great opportunity here to to anchor these industries in Australia, but it needs all those pieces coming together. And I think we're all getting so much better at it than we've ever been. Oh, look, so fantastic to talk to you again. And, you know, it, it's always wonderful to get the update and to get the explanations and to fill in the gaps with these fast-moving, mind-blowing developments. Uh, so we shall talk again soon, no doubt. But uh, thank you so much, Phil. It's been fantastic. Thank you for having me, Kim. Thanks, Grant. Well, thank you, Phil, and thank you, Kim. And, uh, yeah, another fascinating look at the world of science fiction that is here today and now. Uh, it, these discussions just blow me away every time. I know, right? It's uh, <laughs> awesome. But, folks, thank you for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.